0: Everyone and welcome back to the Dead Letters podcast as always. I'm your host VP Morris I really hope everyone has been enjoying these show so far I am proud to announce that we are well over 500 listens at this point and fastly approaching the thousand mark So thank you to everyone who is listening. I also see that in my analytics I have a high retention rate So almost everyone who has come for one episode has come back for another So thank you to everyone who has been listening. This means so much to me And it's so great that I've been hearing that people have been enjoying this story that I've put together. As always, you can support the show by making a donation of $2 or more through the PayPal program I have in the notes below. If you click on support the show, it will show you how to make such donations it will also show you how you can support the show with social media and just basically recommending it to people that you know also you can always leave a five-star review on itunes or wherever else you might be listening to the show anything that can get the show in front of more listeners is super appreciated and i can't stress my gratitude enough now for the recap in episode four we see that fiona has her writing recognized by her professors and her classmates But when she is helping other students with their literature assignments, she is trapped in the dorms during a blackout. She takes refuge in Marco's room and slowly opens up to him. He, in turn, offers to help her find the woman who gave her her first dead letter. Let's get into it. The Dead Letters Podcast Episode 5, Scarred for Life How can you find her information? I asked Marco as I stared at him through the darkness of his room.
1: My sister, she works for the DMV in Florida, but I know she can access databases for any license plate in any state. I could give her the license plate number and she could look it up real quick. No one at her work would even notice, said Margo.
0: You would really do that? I asked him, fearing he was just patronizing me. Of course. I'll call her as soon as the power goes back on, he promised. Okay. I looked out the window, past the candle to see nothing but a wall of pouring rain. Ugh, when is this storm going to end? Not until the morning, said Marco. You should
1: stay here with me. I can walk you home in the morning if you want, he offered. Don't worry, I won't try anything. I'll even sleep in Adam's bed to make you feel more comfortable.
0: The trouble wasn't that I was feeling uncomfortable with Marco, it was that I was feeling too comfortable with him. That won't be necessary, I said, lifting up his bedspread and climbing in. Just be a gentleman, I instructed. Yes, ma'am, he said. In the pitch blackness of the room, with the comforting sounds of rain, it was easy for me to drift to sleep. In the morning, the sun woke me. I found myself lying with my back to Marco and his hand draped across my hip. I slipped away and went to use the restroom. Before stepping back out into the main room, I used a comb that was lying on the sink to comb my frizzing hair that had been made worse by sleep and humidity. Then kneeling by Marco's bed, I fished through my backpack for a hair tie. As soon as I clasped the elastic band around my hair, Marco's eyes fluttered open. Beaming at me, he said, You're still here. He clearly had expected me to take off before he got up. Yeah, I was going to leave in a few minutes. I think I can make it home by myself, I told him. Okay, cool, he said. Listen, I began as I pulled out a sticky note from the smallest pocket of my book bag. Here's my number, the real one this time, and the woman's license plate. Let me know when you talk to your sister. I handed it to him. Thank you for letting me stay and for helping me with this. He nodded and smiled. We said our goodbyes and I made my way home. As I turned the corner on McAllister Street, I could see Paul's little green Nissan parked outside the front of my house. My stomach sank with guilt Paul had probably been worried sick about me, and he barely crossed my mind when I was curled up with Marco. I was such a horrible girlfriend. I rushed home, finding him in the kitchen with Morgan. There you are, cried Morgan with a look of relief. Oh, thank God. Paul rushed over and threw his arms around me. Relax, guys, I'm fine. Paul pulled away from the hug and looked me in the eye like a parent about to lecture a child. Do you
1: have any idea how worried I was about you? I was about to call the cops. Where were you?
0: I was at a study group in the dorms when the power went out, and someone let me stay in their room because their roommate was gone. I explained. Who did you stay with? asked Morgan. I couldn't tell the truth and say Marco. It would only send Paul into a jealous tailspin. Julia, I said. She's the worst. How did you even last the night? asked Morgan. It wasn't so bad. She's quiet when she sleeps, I joked. Why didn't you tell me or tell anyone where you were? Paul asked, his tone still serious. I didn't think it was a big deal. Plus, I turned my phone off to save power, thinking the storm would only last an hour or so. But by the time I realized I had to stay the night, I had forgotten about it. I lied. I was enjoying my time with Marco so much I had forgotten about the world that existed outside of his room. It was Morgan's cell phone. She picked up the device, which was connected to a backup battery, and studied the screen. "'It's an email from the dean,' she began. "'Emergency power has been restored only to the dorms, but classes are cancelled today, because the power company won't be able to get the lights back on until tomorrow,' she explained. A look of relief washed over all of our faces. "'You know what that means!' Morgan reached for a bottle of cheap white wine we kept under the counter. "'Day drinking in my pajamas!'
1: "'You know that's not good for you,' said Paul.
0: "'God, how old are you? You sound like my dad.'" She stuck her tongue out at him as she poured the wine into a used coffee mug. Paul wrinkled his nose at her. "'That's disgusting. At least wash it out first. "'Whatever,' said Morgan, turning to run up the stairs and shout at Grace. "'Grace, we're day drinking, cause no school!' I rolled my eyes at her and laughed. "'You're so much more mature than girls your age,' said Paul with a smile as he leaned in to kiss me on the forehead. "'Thanks, sweetie,' I said." He opened the front door and I walked with him to his car. Listen, he began, you know, Thanksgiving is only a few
1: weeks away and I don't have enough money to fly home to see my parents in Ohio, so I was wondering maybe
0: I could come with you and meet your family and have Thanksgiving up there? Oh, I was surprised. I mean, I'm not sure if you'd like them. My mind filled with images of my large Irish Catholic family chock-full of loudmouth redheads who were going to swear at each other as they passed around food and grilled Paul about how much of a Pat's fan he was. It's okay. I just want to spend time with you and get to know you more, he said. I know that he partly meant it, but I also knew there was an ulterior motive to wanting to spend a major holiday with me. He wanted me to feel like we were moving to a serious path, so I would let go of my prudish ways and finally sleep with him. Um, I'll call and ask, I said. My dad isn't going to be too friendly, especially to any guy I'm seeing. I think I can handle your dad, he assured me. Okay, well, I gotta clean up after being away from home, I said. Let's just figure this out later.
1: All right, I'm working all day. Turns out the restaurant still has power, so that means I must report for duty.
0: He did a fake salute and opened the car door. Get out of here, I said, laughing at his goofiness, and I gave him a peck on the cheek. As soon as he was gone, I checked my phone to see if Marco had talked to his sister yet. Other than a few missed calls and texts from last night, nothing new had come in. I know it was early and he had just gotten power back, but I was dying to know who that woman was and if she could explain these letters to me. In the shower, I used the little hot water we had left to wash away my fears of Charlotte's warning. I had convinced myself that the worst was over. I had succeeded in all that Charlotte had asked of me. I avoided the grease fire. I had thrown away my blue pills and I avoided a room with more than one candle. Maybe I had passed it. And now I was on to the final task of tracking down the woman. Wrapped in clean towels, I checked my phone again. This time I was greeted by a flashing blue light at the top of the screen. It was a text from Marco. She found her, call me when you can. His text read, bouncing with excitement, I called him back. Hey, it's me. Hi. I could hear him smile through the phone. Did you get the information? I asked.
1: Yes, I did. Her name is Heather Kang. She lives at 456 Jessup Road in Westchester. I was able to find out that she is a 48-year-old real estate attorney who just moved here six months ago.
0: Wow, thank you for getting that for me. Now I just need to figure out how I can get to her, I said.
1: Can I come with you? He asked. I don't want you confronting this woman alone.
0: Unless you're planning on taking your boyfriend with you, he he added. No, Paul won't. I stopped myself. Paul wouldn't understand, nor would he approve of what I wanted to do, but I wasn't going to say that out loud. Paul isn't going to be around today. He's working.
1: So can I come?
0: He asked. Sure, but I have to borrow my roommate's car. I'll pick you up at the dorms, I said. Downstairs, I found Morgan on the couch with a bag full of Cheetos on her lap and a mug of white wine in her hand. Breakfast of champions, I laughed. What? Don't judge, she said, her eyes already getting glassy. I go over to her and wrangle the mug out of her hand. Why don't you give day drinking a break? It's not even 11am. Ugh, fine, but move out of the way. I'm binging Parks and Rec. Scenes from the fictional town of Pawnee flicked across Morgan's portable DVD player that she kept fully charged in case of emergencies. Only if I can borrow your car today, I said. Just pay for gas and try not to crash it," she said as she sloppily tossed her keys from the coffee table in my general direction. She missed me by a good six inches, and I scooped the keys up from the floor. In a flash, I was inside her ancient Pontiac, waiting for Marco to meet me in the school parking lot. Was I being crazy? I asked myself. I'm tracking down this woman to ask her, what exactly? I was starting to doubt everything. Marco knocked on the window, and I let him in. He was dressed differently than before. Normally, he hid himself in baggy clothes until he was just a blob of black fabric with a face peering out from a hoodie or a cap. Today, he was wearing fitted black jeans and a dark purple button-down. His floppy black hair was combed back, giving him the look of a gentleman from the 1950s. Wow, you clean up nice, I told him, hoping he didn't catch my eyes darting across his face and body. Thanks, he said. "'What's the occasion? I feel underdressed.' I looked down at my outfit of black yoga pants, fuzzy boots, and a workout top with a leather jacket on top. "'Laundry day,' he explained. "'It's all I have left to wear.' "'Right.' I smiled at him. He pulled up directions to Heather's house on his phone, and in less than an hour we were outside of her home. It was a large colonial with white pillars and black shutters. A cast-iron fence with thick thorn bushes guarded the perimeter of the property. "'So, what's the plan?' asked Marco, looking at the front door. I was just going to walk up to the house and ring the doorbell, and if she answers, I'll tell her that Charlotte sent me to talk to her," I said, not being able to think of any other type of plan. And what if she asks how we found her? He crossed his arms over his chest. I'll just say the internet. Come on, let's go. I want to just get this whole thing over with so I can go back to my life. To our luck, the gate that led to the stone walkway through the yard was open. The two of us tiptoed up the steps to the door, as if we didn't want her to know we were coming. I rang the doorbell, and a soft ding-dong rang out through the house. We waited. Nothing happened. I rang it again, then tapped the gold lion's head with the knocker on its mouth against the dark wood of the front door. She still didn't answer. Feeling defeated, I turned to Marco. "'Maybe she's in the backyard and can't hear us,' he suggested. "'It's 40 degrees. "'Who is hanging out in their backyard in a day like this?' I asked him. "'Well, there
1: was a storm last night, and everything is a mess now. "'Maybe she's cleaning up the backyard. "'She strikes me as the type who likes to keep everything neat and perfect,' he said.
0: "'That was true. "'Her pristine clothes and formal mannerisms from our first encounter "'told me that Heather was a perfectionist. "'We walked to the back gate that was easily unlocked "'by reaching our hand over the top. "'Heather,' I said in a whisper. "'Mrs. Kang, are you home?' We walked further into the yard. It consisted of a large grass lawn, an outdoor kitchen area, and a table for entertaining. The storm had blown branches and debris all over the yard, sullying the otherwise pottery barn-perfect appearance. I called out her name once more and tapped on the glass of the back door of the house. No one answered. "'I guess no one's home,' said Marco. I peered into her house, cupping my hands around my face. After confirming that no one was indeed home, I threw my hands down in frustration, but one of them accidentally hit the handle of the door on the way down. I didn't feel any resistance. I grabbed the handle this time, fully feeling the cold metal on my skin and pushed down. There was a click and the door opened. Fiona, no, said Marco. His dark eyes were now big and round. Let me just peek in. I want to see where she's been hiding my final letter and leave. It won't be more than five minutes. No, this is too much, he said. I stepped inside and looked back at him. Fine, he shrugged and reluctantly trailed after me. We quickly cased out the ground floor. Kitchen, small bathroom, living room, and game room. There was nothing to indicate that a letter was kept anywhere around here. Upstairs, we rushed past two bedrooms. Both looked like they belonged to teenagers, a boy and a girl. I peeked my head inside the boys' room and flicked on the light switch. A yellow-hued overhead light cast down over the bedroom. It was fastidiously neat, with a navy blue bedspread tucked in, and school books and SAT prep guides neatly stacked on a wooden desk. No backpack, I said. They must be at school, and Heather is probably at work, since they didn't lose power here last night. We ran down to the end of the hall where we found what must be Heather's master bedroom. The double doors opened to a spacious room containing a white fluffy bed with delicately arranged pillows taking up half the space on the bed. Marco opened the next door to find a master bathroom with a clawfoot tub and a walk-in steam shower. Can you imagine living like this? He said with both admiration and envy in his eyes. I studied the wall that was behind the bed. There was a small white door. That's probably just her closet, said Marco, ready to turn around and leave. It's not, I said. This is different. I walked towards it and pushed on the door. It opened. Inside, there was a small office with a desk pushed up against the window. On the desk and the surrounding shelves, there was nothing but paperwork that had to do with Heather's law practice and her personal finances. I didn't think I was going to find anything until I pushed a legal notepad to the side and saw a scrapbook hidden underneath. It was thick, with a green and purple marble cover. I flipped through page after page of old newspaper clippings and black and white photographs. I knew these people couldn't be Heather's relatives, at least not by blood. Heather was Asian, but everyone in these photos was either Caucasian or African American, and all of these photos looked like they were taken years before Heather was even born. I wanted to look at them longer, but I had to find my letter. I flipped to the last few pages, which held old envelopes under clear plastic slots. But the letter's addresses were facing away. I started to pull the first envelope out when Marco said, Hey,
1: we don't have time to hang around. Just take the whole book and we'll go through it later.
0: Okay, I agreed, remembering that I had just illegally entered someone else's private property. I scooped the book up and held it to my chest. We closed the door to the office and were about to dash out of the master suite when we saw it. Down the darkened hallway, there was a figure. It was dark, but we could make out the shape of a woman. Shit, what is that? Said Marco. The figure stomped forward and came into the light. It was Heather, and she was steaming mad. What are you doing with that? She lunged forward and ripped the book out of my hands. Do you have any idea what you're dealing with? Do you have any idea what's at stake if you don't listen? Heather's face was burning a bright pink as she gripped the scrapbook with white knuckles. It's Charlotte, I explained, hoping a long-since-dead woman would take the fall for my actions. She told me to come here. No. "'She told you to find me if you've survived your latest catastrophe,' she said. "'She did not tell you to break into my home and take from me what is not yours.'" "'To be fair,' I argued, "'I only wanted my last letter, and that is technically mine.'" "'Not yet it isn't,' she hissed. "'How do you know I haven't survived my latest catastrophe?' I've listened to every rule, and as far as I can tell, I've survived every test she's given me," I retorted. Growing up with the two Headstrong brothers made me never back down from a disagreement, even if I should for my own sake. I know now this was one of those arguments I should have abandoned. From the look in your eyes, said Heather, staring into my face, when it hits, it really hits. It changes you. And from
1: what I see, you've survived nothing yet.
0: Hey, you don't know me or anything that I've, I started. Oh, stop it. Just stop. She held up one hand. Listen, sweetie, I've been doing this for a lot longer than you have, and if you don't want to die, you'll do as I and Charlotte say. No, you listen. I've had enough of this. I'm sick of people who don't even know me telling me how to live my life and that people will die if I don't. It's insane and ridiculous, and I'm sure nothing bad will happen if I don't follow everything that Charlotte says to an exact T. I felt like I was foaming at the mouth with anger. Do you want to see what happens when you don't listen, when you don't take her seriously, she asked. Yes, I do, I said. Marco grabbed my arm. He had been stunned silent up until this point. Fiona, let it be. But I was in too hard. I wrestled my arm away from him. Yes, I want to see. I'll show you, said Heather. She was wearing a finely knit black sweater and a green and red Hermes scarf tied around her neck. She feverishly untied the scarf and let it fall to the floor. She then crossed her arms over her chest and hooked her fingers at the bottom of her sweater. She began to lift up.
1: Whoa, what are you doing? Marco
0: asked. She said she wanted to see. With one swift motion, her sweater was off and on the floor. Heather stood before us in a black bra. Around her torso and arms, thick red scars stretched across her body. They looked like painful burning flames that ripped their way up and across Heather's body with swift and thick strokes. She barely had any untouched skin left, and on her throat, a large bumpy scar stretched across her neck with medical precision. This, she said to us, this is what happens when you don't listen to Charlotte. The Dead Letters podcast is written and produced by me, V.P. Morris. If you enjoyed today's episode, please help support the show by leaving a five-star review. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next one.